today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. You know, we're, we're told that the enemy is a roaring lion, that he stalks his prey and waits for that optimum time to attack so he can devour and destroy. And, and make no mistake about it, the enemy in the spiritual realm, and we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the entities in, in the spiritual realm, four of them, Paul lists in Ephesians 6. But the enemy stalks us. He studies us. In the original language of the Greek New Testament in Ephesians, it carries with it the idea of a military strategist. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Nehemiah. The enemy is sneaky, ready to attack at any moment. Pastor J.D. warns us in his message that the enemy is stalking and studying us. He's waiting for that moment when we are vulnerable and weary. Therefore, we must be on guard. We must stay strong in our relationship with our Heavenly Father and in His Word and promises. In doing so, we will be prepared when the attack comes. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Nehemiah chapter 4 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. We should always do this after we pray. You know what that is? Get back up and get back to work. Get back up and get back to work. Don't use prayer as an excuse for doing nothing. Lord, just, you're, you're crying out to the Lord, 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 did you hear what they said? And I mean, we're, we're doing this for you, and Lord, do something. And I just can hear the Lord saying, okay, I'll, I'll take care of it. Just get back to work. You've got a wall to build. You're halfway there. Let's get her done. So get back to work. Verse 7, now it happened <laughs> when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, got to watch out for them Arabs, I always say that. The Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them, listen to this, conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Oh, isn't this interesting? Is this not textbook? Okay, he's the accuser of the brethren, he's the father of lies, and he's the author of confusion. This is textbook. We shouldn't be surprised. Now, they're raising it up a notch, because not only are they threatening to create and conspiring to create confusion, they're threatening them with physical harm by actually attacking them. Do you think Nehemiah's afraid? No. This is one thing that is a must for any leader, and that is to have unflinching fearlessness in the face of attack like this. Verse 9, Nevertheless, and here it is again, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them we set a watch against them day and night. This is prudence, not paranoia, not fear, This is prudence. You ever heard the expression, trust God, but lock your car? No, think about that. Trust God, but lock your car. Oh, I trust God. Well, then why are you locking your car? 
because I'm not stupid. <laughs> Listen, for those of you who are offended by my use of the word stupid, uh, the Proverbs uses the, the word stupid. So uh, the he who hates correction is stupid. So what do you think about that? So listen, God has given us, I know some of you, I just jammed your gears on that one. So I'll have to provide you the reference. I forget off the top of my head, but I want to say it's like Proverbs 28, but I'll look it up. Don't worry. We can discuss this after if you don't storm out out mad before. But, you know, trust God. You need to take precautionary measures. I lock my house at night. I lock the windows at night. Okay, I trust God, but we have a security system here around the church. That's to be prudent. We have security cameras here in the church. That's to be prudent, and that's what Nehemiah is doing. Again, good leaders are prudent, especially when it comes to the work of God and God's people. Verse 10, then Judah said, the strength of, here it is, of the laborers is failing And there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. Wow. You know, one of the things that I'm learning in my walk with the Lord is that you know, we're, we're told that the enemy is a roaring lion, that he stalks his prey and waits for that optimum time to attack so he can devour and destroy. And, and make no mistake about it, the enemy in the spiritual realm, and we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the entities in, in the spiritual realm, four of them, Paul lists in Ephesians 6. But the enemy stalks us. He studies us. In the original language of the Greek New Testament in Ephesians, it carries with it the idea of a military strategist, where they're really studying those maps of your life. And they're, they're just, they, they know you and where you're vulnerable, and they wait until that time when you're weary and you're discouraged, and that's when they attack. That's when the enemy attacks. He always attacks when you're the most vulnerable and the most weary and the most discouraged. Verse 12, So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore, look at this, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Bring it. We're ready. Uh, thank you guys. You know who these Jews were that informed them of what was going to happen? Apparently they lived close in proximity to Jerusalem and it happened upon the strategy of the enemy in attacking them. And so they immediately apprised Nehemiah of here's what they're going to do. Here's when they're going to do it. Here's how they're going to do it. And so Nehemiah is ready. Now again, why do we have a detail like this in the scripture, because this, I believe, speaks to how it is that God will oftentimes forewarn us ahead of time. I've had many times in my experience with the Lord where he'll give me this spiritual discernment to sort of prepare me for that which is prepared for me. And sometimes it's so strong. It's not audible, 
But he's always forewarning me, just like we as a loving parent would want to forewarn our children of impending danger ahead. And the proverb says that the prudent see danger ahead and take refuge, but the fool keeps going and suffers the consequences. Again, this is prudence. It's a spiritual discernment packaged with a prudence. And I'll even take it a step further and suggest that it's a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom working in tandem one with the other. And I'll explain what what I mean by that. A word of knowledge is information that you are given spiritual discernment. It's, It's a word of knowledge. Someone has a word for you. Now, what are you going to do about it? Well, that's the word of wisdom. It's been said that knowledge is just information, but wisdom is the application of that information. So this is exactly what is taking place here. Wisdom and knowledge working together on Nehemiah's part. Verse 14, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people. Now remember, they're very discouraged. I would argue even very fearful, full of fear. And the reason I say that is because of what Nehemiah says to them next. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Oh, great and awesome. And, oh, this is good. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Oh, you had to bring them into it. Listen, <laughs> this is... This is just brilliant. And here's why. One of the most crippling and paralyzing attacks of the enemy is to give us a spirit of fear, to fill our hearts with fear. It is so crippling and so paralyzing. And here's Nehemiah, this great leader, this godly leader, and he handles this spirit of fear that the people had succumbed to by reminding them, key word, reminding. Let me remind you what we're doing this for. Let me remind you who we're fighting for. Let me remind you of this great and grand and glorious work of the Lord. That's who we're doing it for. And oh, by the way, What about your wives and your sons and your daughters? Oof. Listen, you start threatening my family, my wife, my children. You do anything to harm my son, particularly my daughter. Never forget when my daughter came home from school one day and she said, Man, this this boy was really mean to me. You know what he said to me, Bubba? He she told me what he said to him. And my response was, Where does he live? And um that's my daughter we're talking about. That's my daughter we're talking about. How about my firstborn son? You want to mess with my my son? Uh you coward? You coward? You want to gossip about my wife, the pastor's wife, or the pastor's son? You coward? Come to me. Come to me. That's what Nehemiah is doing here. What about them? What about them? That I tell you, a real man, and guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> when you bring them into the discussion, into the equation, doesn't that just bring out a sanctified strength in your heart? 
Yeah, bring it on. <laughs> Am I taking this a little bit too far? Maybe we should move on, verse 15. <laughs> I just, I love this. I mean, yeah, you. I'm not afraid of them. And besides, my wife and my children are watching me. How fearful will they become if they see that I'm cowering in fear to the attack of the enemy? How insecure are they going to be? You know, one of the greatest compliments my wife, last thing and we'll, I, we'll move on. One of the greatest compliments my wife, one of the greatest is uh, over the years that she's uh, given me, is that she feels uh, very protected by me as her husband. She feels very protective. She's very secure. And she knows that she's the priority. And I will always protect her. And I will always protect my family. It goes for my church family, by the way, too. I am ferociously protective of this body of believers. And it happened, verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. It's just so nonchalant, verse 15. It came to nothing, no big deal, all of that worry for nothing. So it was, verse 16, from that time on, that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shield, the bows, and wore armor. They didn't let their guard down. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens, loaded themselves, so that with one hand, listen, they worked at construction, and with the other held a weapon. Oh, wow. Look at that picture. Is that not a great picture? Charles Spurgeon, I think uh, it was, would put out a, a newsletter, and he called it the sword and the trowel. In other words, you have the sword in one hand. That's the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. And you have your, your tools in the other. You're working, and you've got a good balance of both. Again, this is great imagery of having the Word of God in one hand and the work of God in another. What a tremendous picture of our service for the Lord. Every one of the builders, verse 18, had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. And if you know a little bit about the topography of Jerusalem, it is quite uh, vast, and so there's a great distance. And this is long before they had cell phones to communicate <laughs> with each other. So verse tw uh, 20, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, that's how they communicated, rally to us there, our God will fight for us, will come, just sound the trumpet. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. They're in shifts. That's a long shift. That's what they call bell to bell, <laughs> dawn to dusk. At the same time, verse 22, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem. This is the graveyard shift. That they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. When did they sleep? I don't think they did. If they did, they didn't sleep much. So neither I, verse 23, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off 
for washing. That would stink. Could you imagine? I don't know. We're not told how often they wash their clothes, but I kind of get the impression that they didn't do it that often. That was the only time they would change their clothes was if they needed to wash them. Do you get the impression that they worked really, 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 really hard? Do you get the impression that they worked really, really, really long hours? Don't get the impression that they did it again grudgingly. When we get to chapter 8, verse 11, you know what Nehemiah is going to say? The joy of the Lord is my strength. You know what I believe? I believe it was a joy. I believe that if you would have came up to one of those guys on one of those long shifts with those smelly, sweaty clothes that haven't been washed in days, you said, hey, brah, why don't you take a break? I'll fill in for you and go wash those clothes. Just take some time to get something to eat. They said, no, no. You know what they were thinking? They were thinking, remembering their God and their families. No, I'll stay. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, but uh, you're sacrificing a lot here. No, I want to. It's a joy. And the joy of the Lord is my strength. There was such a camaraderie there. Remember now they had, they all had the mind to work. Where am I going with this? Well, I'm, I'm going to close with this. But kingdom work is really, really hard work. Kingdom work is really, really hard work. I was uh, sharing with a brother earlier that the ministry is a dream for a workaholic. If you're a workaholic, you'll love the ministry because you'll work day and night, all day, all night, if you can get away with it. There is so much work to do, and it's it's not easy, but it is worth it. It's not easy, but it's a joy. It's not that you have to, it's that you want to. You do it with all your might as unto the Lord. I wouldn't do this for man, but I'll do it for the Lord. I'll do it for the Lord. And it's a joy. It's inconvenient. It's uncomfortable. It requires a sacrifice. It requires sometimes sleepless nights and sleep deprivation. I think of the Apostle Paul in his ministry. He grocery lists everything. We just saw it in 2 Corinthians. He says, oh my goodness, you want to know what my, my life's like? You know how many times I almost died at sea, shipwrecked? How many times I was stoned and left for dead? How many times I was whipped? 39, 40 minus 1, lashings on the back. You know what I went through? And then he goes on, and he, you know, we'd go hungry often, without sleep often. He he lists that, and you're just thinking, why would anybody do that? Do you think that Paul did it because he had to? No! He did it because he wanted to. He was called to. And God had given him the strength to do it. It's Philippians 4.13 when Paul says to the church of Philippi, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he gets to the end of this gnarly list where you're just thinking, wow, that's a lot. I don't think I could go through all that. And he says, this is just my, my average day, not to mention all the stresses and pressures from all the churches. Could you imagine what Paul's inbox looked like? I would hate to have his email address 
Could you imagine what's in his drafts folder? How many people he would have to get back to? Churches emailing him, particularly the churches in Galatia. Paul, the Judaizers are killing us, man. You got to get over here. Write a letter, something. They're killing us. They're requiring that we get circumcised as Gentiles in order to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that was last week. Yeah, that was last week. How, how intense is that? That's what he's talking about. The pressures that he's dealing with on a daily basis. Not to mention the fact that he's almost died. Imprisoned. So many times in prison. And he's, what's he doing in prison? Complaining, God, I quit. Well, there's a problem. Slaves can't quit. Just, you know, saying, you're not going to quit. And God's not going to fire you either. Ask Elijah about how that worked out for him. God, I I quit. Just kill me. Fire. I know you won't fire me, but you will kill me. Just kill me. Put me out of my misery. No. What's Paul doing in prison? Complaining to God? God, I gave up everything for you. I sacrificed everything for you. I've done, gone through all of this for you. And here I am sitting in a prison. That's not Paul. You know what he's doing? He's praising God. He's singing praise and worship songs. You know what I'm doing in prison? I'm trying to catch up on some sleep because I haven't slept in days. I think of Peter when he is miraculously released from prison. And what do they, what do they find him doing? He's sleeping. And then it's kind of like when in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that they were going to arrest Jesus, and Jesus comes back and says, man, couldn't you guys stay awake for at least an hour and pray? And what does he find? He finds Peter asleep. I'm convinced that Peter had a sleep disorder because he's always sleeping. They're never complaining. I never see them complaining about, oh, the work's too hard. This is not fair. Life isn't fair with our boys growing up. I was just reminded of this the other day because now we're teaching our daughter this song. We had a little song that we would sing to them to teach them about how life isn't fair. It went something like this, and I'll I'll close with this because after this you're going to want me to close. But it went like this. Life is... The the world, it doesn't revolve around you and life. It isn't fair. Da-dum, boom, boom. The world, it doesn't revolve around you and life. It isn't fair. Everybody now. The world, no. <laughs> but they, they got it, I think. <laughs> but that's the truth, right? The world doesn't revolve around you. And life, it isn't fair. God's fair. But life isn't fair. I'll never forget many, many years ago, I asked somebody, I said, I'll never, I never asked anybody this again. I said, how's life treating you? To which they responded, life is treating me horribly, but God's good. I thought, wow, that's, that's really true, isn't it? How's life treating you? Why? Life is treating me terribly. Life is killing me. Life, it isn't fair. But God's fair. God's treating me fair. God's good. Life isn't good, but God is good. Thanks for being a part of our time here today on In Spirit and Truth. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please visit our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. You'll find a link to our Twitter feed where you can join the conversation and fill your feed with encouragement. We'd also love to see you here at Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe, if you're in the area. We hold services every Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. Or come by on Thursday at 7 p.m. for an in-depth Bible study. Directions can be found on our website in spiritandtruthradio.com. 
If you can't join us in person, you can still benefit from Pastor J.D.'s teachings through our online resources at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Simply click Listen on the top of the page to find a number of previous messages by Pastor J.D. from various books of the Bible. Along with that, we invite you to check out the Mideast Prophecy Update, where Pastor J.D. shares current events and their prophetic importance. Here's Pastor J.D. to tell you more. Yes, Josh, that's right. In doing the prophecy updates, we do focus our attention on current events through the lens of Bible prophecy. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 29, Jesus said that he has told us what's going to happen before it happens, so when it happens, we will believe. This is why we have a very simple gospel presentation at the end of each prophecy update. It's our hope and prayer that many would come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Sure hope you'll join us each and every Friday and Saturday for our Bible prophecy update. You can also find the updates at inspiritandtruthradio.com. There you'll find a link to our YouTube channel for the latest update. Thanks, Pastor J.D. We're so glad you tuned in today to In Spirit and Truth. Pastor J.D. has much more to share from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah when you join us again. May your day and week be blessed as you continue to grow in spirit and truth. 